Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so happy today to have Dr. Isabel Amig on the Arthritis Life Podcast. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I love what you do. And, and you too. It's one of these things where we've known each other on social media and now we're finally talking in real time. So just as a quick introduction, can you let the audience know uh, where you live and what is your relationship to arthritis? Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, so I live in Denver, Colorado in the U.S., and I am a rheumatologist and I'm particularly specialized in rheumatoid arthritis. First, I did a lot of research in rheumatoid arthritis and heart disease. And then uh, I moved to Denver and I did a lot of research in uh, interstitial lung disease and rheumatoid arthritis. But yeah, and I love all rheumatology, to be frankly honest. Anything inflammatory? Yeah, well, you perfectly led me to the next question, which is, why did you choose to specialize in rheumatology? Oh yeah, I love that question. It's like one of my favorite questions. Yeah. <laughs> with the what is rheumatology? And I'm like, oh, Dr. House without the attitude. <laughs> yeah, without the attitude, exactly. Dr. House with much more bed better bedside manner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or a different type of attitude. But um, so yeah, I discovered rheumatology in France when I was uh, a medical student and then a resident. And I think it was my second training rotation uh, and I fell completely in love, but because it's, you know, the first or second rotation, I didn't make much of it because I tended to just like everything that I was exposed to. Uh, but I kept going back and I kept going back. And, and at what point I just remembered, I, I just realized I was like, every single disease that I like are inflammatory. Like I like systemic disease and I like when it affects the whole body. And I really like the thought process. Um, and and then um, so then I, you know, I finished my residency and my fellowship in France in rheumatology. And then I moved to the US and I repeated my residency and had the choice of changing specialty. 
And I could not imagine being anything else than a rheumatologist because I had started experiencing what it is, which is that I, I always say this. I say in rheumatology, you have one third, one third, one third, one third of patients that are undiagnosed. And I love that part. Like I feel, I really feel like Dr. House and I feel very privileged to have had two trainings um, because I feel like I'm very clinically oriented with a research background. So it's kind of like this really cool thing. Uh, so one third are undiagnosed. So it's very stimulated, like intellectually stimulating. One third is actually sort of easy bread and butter rheumatology, which is, you know, easy rheumatoid arthritis. Not every rheumatoid arthritis is easy, but there are some that are very like straightforward um, or easy gout or easy ankylosing spondylitis, you know. And then there's one third where it's sort of, well, we have to deal with what's going on with the patient. So maybe they do have rheumatoid arthritis. Maybe they do have ankylosing spondylitis, but there is other stuff going on. There is maybe fibromyalgia associated. Maybe there is chronic fatigue syndrome associated. And so then it becomes this, um, you know, real work as a physician that's not just a technician, but also like a human being. Like, okay, how do I get you to feel better? How do I get you to be in your best health, um, working with you and helping you, you know, empower you. So, so there was that. And then at the end of the day, one of my favorite thing about rheumatology other than, you know, what type of disease am I going to encounter? What type of patient am I going to encounter? It's basically this relationship with the patient that's, you know, like a lot of my patients are lifelong patients. And I even have patients that I met when I was in, uh, New York City when I did my um, second fellowship that are still in contact with me. Uh, and it's it just feels good. It just, I feel part of their family. I feel like they are part of my family. Um, and so that is something that I, you know, really cherish this relationship with my patients. So that is why, <laughs> twice. <laughs> I, yeah, I love that. Well, yeah. And I, I feel the same way about my rheumatologist. I've been so lucky that I've had her in my care for over 20 years now. And, you know, I invited her to our wedding. Like she is truly an important part of my life. And it is, you know, as if, as you you were trained as a physician, it is one of those things people think about, like, do you want to have that long-term versus like maybe emergency room where you might see lots more patients in your lifetime, but only see them for a short period of time uh, versus rheumatology. So, and I also, I always say this, but I, cause I interviewed um, one of my very first interviews I ever did for Arthritis Life. It was before the pandemic. It was in person in Seattle with a rheumatologist, um, not mine, but a different one. And he said, um, I said, why did you go into rheumatology? And he said, the diagnostic dilemmas. He really likes the mysteries. And I always said, even though I'm so passionate about rheumatology and I love, you know, working this field as an occupational therapist and a support group leader, I actually would find it so, I feel like I would find it really stressful. Already. I have a low, like, and I call, or my therapist said, you know, one of the things we work on is ambiguity tolerance, like tolerance for those unclear, oh. like black and white. So even though I, I, my role as helping support people in managing their condition, I don't mind the ambiguity of that, but having the responsibility to make that diagnosis somehow seems really intimidating to me. Like, yeah. Oh, what if it's, what if you're wrong? What if it's lupus? What if it's, you know, but I guess you just learn to be flexible, right? Mm -hmm. And so something I learned in France, um, 
is and, and you know there, there's a there's a lot of value from having done this dual training so I saw your face and you were like what you had to do two trainings and I see it as to me I see it as a, a luck right like some chance because like not everyone gets to not need to be productive forever. And I remember um, I was doing some research at Sloan Kettering when I wasn't completely sure I would do rheumatology. I came to the US and I did some infectious disease uh, research. And I remember this doc, super well-known. I think he created the Shingrix vaccine. And, uh, and he said, you know, as fellows, and he was talking to the other fellows, I was a resident at the time in France, so like well before I came to the US, and he's up for good. He said, um, fellows and residents is the only time where we are not asking you to be productive. And I remember like so clearly, and I was like, wow, this is so valuable. And he's right. Once you're an attending, you have to be productive. You have to see a certain number of patients. You have, as a fellow, you're asked to learn. And so I was like, okay. Okay, well heard. And so that is actually one of the reasons I had no problem repeating my residency, no problem repeating my fellowship, extending my fellowship, because I was like, as much as I can learn, I'm learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still learn, of course, you still learn so much as an attending. But uh, like at the time, I was just like, yeah, my job is to learn. And I love that job. <laughs> so. oh. That's amazing. No, and I think I do think that, you know, people self-select into the medical specialties as much as they're able to. I know you can't always control where you're placed and such, but they mm-hmm. into the, you know, specialties that that work for for them. And so yeah, I always, you know, I I just I find rheumatologists to be um some of the most, you know, really holistic, caring, you know, I don't even know what mm-hmm. to say you know, they're kind of known as as cerebral, like very like, you know, kind of nerdy in the best possible way, you know, as a compliment, I mean that. And, and so, you know, and on the topic of learning, I think a lot of people who listen to the podcast, we have a big range of people. There might be people who are newly diagnosed or like a family member or a friend of somebody with um, inflammatory arthritis, which when we say inflammatory arthritis, meaning like that, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic, ankylosing spondylitis, the kinds that are autoimmune. And then we have people who've been living with it like me for 20 years. So we have a big range, but I've, something I've noticed is a lot of people are confused about what remission means. When you live with one of these conditions, even if you had it a long time, like I have, I have to be honest, I had to look up like, what is it seems like everyone has a little bit of a different definition. So can you tell us a little bit about like, what does remission even mean? And then we can delve into some more specifics. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So uh, so I think the first uh, and important question is why we came up with that term and what it means. And uh, so I think we talk about disease remission in rheumatoid, I'm going to talk about rheumatoid arthritis because it's the one that I've looked the most. Um, and when you were starting to, when we were starting to look at the term remission, it was associated remission slash minimal disease activity. And that happened around the time that we started realizing that we need to uh, have, so at first they were calling it treat to target, and then they called it drug to target. And it really started with the advent of biologics. And so basically then, you know, I'm a nerd, clearly you said it and that's true, Uh, but I love the history of rheumatology. Like it just, when you actually go deep into the studies, you start learning about how we are making the decisions that we're making today. And so before, when we didn't have all the biologics that we have, 
we used to do a step up approach. And so you would start with anti-inflammatory. Then you would add maybe methotrexate. Then you would add sulfazalazine. Then you would add, you know, lefplenomide and so on, or plaquenil or so on, you know, like depending on which one had been shown to prove something. And they were doing this step-up therapy. And then there is a couple of trials, including something called the SMART trial, where they found that starting with a bang had more chance of putting patients into minimal disease activity and remission. And then because we started having more patients in um, so-called remission, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna define it, then we started defining what disease remission is, okay? So it sounds like we should have defined the disease remission before, but it really started after because until what, maybe 20 or 30 years, I'm, I'm old now. Um, well, yeah, I was just looking up. So the first, because I always remember, forget if it's the late 90s or early 2000s, the first biologic was approved in 1999. So yeah, it's like, and I actually, I'm really glad you're going into the history. And because and I encourage people to look at the history to understand, because to, it helps you be less fearful about the medications when you understand that you're the disease before the late nineties and early two thousands, this disease, it's a progressive disease there. We didn't have like, we, the medical field didn't have the tools that we have now to yes. put it into remission. So I think I'm glad you, you mentioned all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to realize that this concept is fairly new, right? So the smart trial, I think is like 2003, 2005, something like this. It's like, it's, it's, uh, it's much later. It's right. Like First, we're putting biologics. Then suddenly, like people are like the people we were putting on biologics, so the TNF inhibitor, they were the worst. They were the people with the worst disease because we didn't want to use those for anyone. And it's only maybe 10, 15 years later that we realized, like, what are we doing? We should put patients on biologic as fast as possible if they do not respond to the you know first line because we can get them to remission and at and at one point there was this concept of what is disease remission so disease remission in studies in studies is no more pain no more swelling no more joint stiffness uh and so really when you're thinking about it it's like wait what Oh, so I have no more pain. I have no morning stiffness and I'm, I have no more joint swelling. I am in remission. You may still have a little bit of fatigue. You may still have pain all over your body if you have, you know, small fibers neuropathy or fibromyalgia. Uh, and, but, but normally no more joint pain, no more swelling, no more um, uh, morning stiffness. That is what we call disease remission. In the clinical studies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. in, in associated with it, there is the minimal disease activity, which when we say we're drug, like we're drug to target, we are aiming for that. We're aiming for, so this is really funny. You can have one painful and or swollen joint. That's it. One. Yeah. Yeah. One. If any, that's what I tell my patient. I'm like, anything more than one, I'm not happy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not happy. And I'm talking about rheumatoid arthritis. So that's really important because unfortunately, um, we're not yet there in lupus. We're not yet there necessarily in vasculitis. We're not yet there in uh, uh, psoriatic arthritis. And we are aiming and we could get there, but it's not as uh, obvious, I would say. Uh, so, yeah. So then, you know, those studies show, you know, like once we had enough patients that went into this minimal disease activity and disease remission, then, you know, the sky is the limit. And so then physicians were like, okay, well, what can we get? So yes, we can get disease remission. 
can we get cured? And so that's a very different story. Cured means that you don't have any treatment to achieve this disease remission. There's like no evidence of active disease. And unfortunately, so far, not great. Uh, we cannot say cured. And honestly, like I would say that the vast majority of my patients have no problem with that because as long as you live a completely normal life, like, I mean, it's just etymology, right? It's just a word. Well, and I think that that brings up the point of, is it medicated or unmedicated remission? So I often tell the story about, I was extremely lucky, I think, because my RA was so aggressive um, and severe at the point, or just clouds aligned. I don't know what happened, but in 2003, I was put almost, I didn't, I wasn't able to do sulfasalazine because I had a allergic reaction to it. So then I was immediately put on methotrexate plus Enbrel. And I went into swiftly into remission. Like it was night and day. Like I couldn't open my hands from a fist. And then I was playing soccer again and running around. And, you know, I injured myself swing dancing the next year. I mean, I was <laughs> running, leaping through the fields and a lot of people, anyway, side note, people often make fun of the drug commercials, but because the, they're like, not everyone's like running through a field of sunflowers, but I'm like, but it's not inaccurate to say that some people are. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but point being, so that was, but I still had to stay at that point. The thought was, and I don't, I think it probably depends on the patient now to stay on, stay on the medicine. I know some people now are able to get into unmedicated remission. If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up. I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step -step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through. People who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March, 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T and capital R. 
You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. So there's Medicaid remission where you're still taking your medicine for your rheumatoid arthritis. And then unmedicated is where you're, you're maybe often you slowly wean down and stuff like that. Can you tell a little more about that? And in the, so when was it? In the early 2000s. Yeah, 2005, around that time, there was a whole, uh, again, like this is just the history of rheumatology. Like I'm lucky that I've got, you know, two trainings and I'm very interested in that. But um, in the mid, like 2003, 2005, 2006, something around that time, basically we started uh, wondering if we could cure patients. So what happened is that there is something called the early RA, which is the window of opportunity. And so our question was, can we put a patient in remission and then cure them by treating them early? And we were so hopeful, but so far, not super exciting, not as exciting as it sounds. And um, it, it, it looked like, yes, there are some patients who are going to develop something that looks like rheumatoid arthritis that's not necessarily rheumatoid arthritis uh and you you know you may start them and in france we were pretty lenient in giving biologic if metotrexate didn't work you would put them on a biologic and then they would not need it but the question later on was like was this actually rheumatoid arthritis the whole time or was it just some sort of reactive arthritis that responded to tnf inhibitor so mm-hmm. all this to say i think that Aiming for remission is a really cool goal because it allows you to have a totally normal life. And the only time you remember of your condition is when you have to give yourself the medication. And so, you know, um, that's that's fair. Like, you know, it's, it's not really a big price to pay unless you have complications with the medication. And then we can talk about that. But, you know, uh, uh, this concept of cured Unfortunately, in rheumatoid arthritis, I think it's really hard to, I think that some patients, if you take them really early, you can maybe decrease the amount of medication that they need. Uh, But I don't know that I've had anyone that has not needed medication. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And like over the years, maybe for a year or two, they don't need it, which is great. And, you know, like sometimes I have patients that need like one injection, you know, or one infusion, like it's very little uh, and, and we work. And then there's like all of those anti-inflammatory things that you can do. And that some patients are so into, you know, meditation, relaxation and exercise, anti-eating and anti-inflammatory diet. And I'm all for it. I'm all for it. (laughs) Sleep is the one I always And sleep. Yeah, exactly. but you know, it depends on who you are. Like, and I've, I will be honest. I've seen some patients who don't need any medication on this. I'm usually there just in case. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it does happen. And I've seen patients even with high CCP be in what we would call cured. I just consider it remission because I never know when you know. And at the same time, I don't want them to freak out and to feel like it's going to happen at any time. Like a disease is looking, you know, when am I coming back? Because again, we have amazing treatment. So it's not, I think that leaving 
for me, like I want my patients to live the most normal life as they can without fear, because this is such a known condition and we have so many, so many options now. Right. Well, and I think it's funny that you've used the phrase normal life. So, um, cause I, I, one of my first podcast episodes, um, actually was, can you live a normal life with rheumatoid arthritis? And the only reason I actually thought about that title is, um, this is episode 29. Um, so I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes, but, um, is that, so we're going to go to a little tangent, but we'll go back to remission. But, um, is that I actually discovered that on, I had a blog called the enthusiasticlife.com and I somehow got onto some of my analytics and it said, what, what are the search phrases on Google that are leading people to your website? And one of the search phrases was, can you live a normal life with rheumatoid arthritis? And I think, um, this is just my perspective. I, I think that, you know, it really all depends on what is your definition of normal, right? Yeah. If you put, if you put your definition normal as a life where you never have to think about health and, and, and go to the doctor or anything like that, like, no, for me, um, it's not, that's not my life. Right. And I, I, and I, um, so I'm trying not to like summarize this without like rambling on forever, but the point is that like, I do think it's, this is maybe me being like a, um, liberal arts undergrad student, but, um, I do think that like, sometimes the phrase normal life rubs me a little bit the wrong way in the same way as like having it. Oh, as long as the baby's healthy can kind of I'm not saying about you saying normal life, but just in general, because it's like, oh, well, not all babies are healthy and they still are hundred percent like worthy of, you know, love and respect. Of course, we would all wish to be healthy, but we're not. And so not everyone's healthy and they can still thrive and still have like a wonderful life alongside their condition. So that's kind of the conclusion I came to in that episode was, you know, acceptance and um, accepting that this is part of my life. And I know this is very congruent with how you see things too. So I'm not, I'm not saying, yeah. I'm just bringing oh, no, it up. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think that uh, like, I, like, you know, I was talking to you about the free type of patients, right? Like the, yeah. uh, the and, and it's really free type of, I say free type of patients, I could say free type of conditions. First of all, I use the word condition because I think mm-hmm. condition, right? So you're working with, versus of these ease, which is like something that doesn't, like you're not in ease. These I like ease. that. Yeah. And so condition as this idea that we're working with it. And so as someone who had cancer, uh, I, um, uh, I realized that the way that some docs were seeing me did not work for me. And the way that some people uh, saw my disease did not work for me. And I did not want to feel that I was having some sort of enemy inside of me that was ready to kill me. I didn't know if I would make it or not. The thing though is that I didn't want to fight. And uh, the idea of fighting means that you're spending all of your energy against your body and against, so against this disease and against your body. When really what it is to me and, and, and from my own experience as a patient and my own experience as a physician and with my own patient, like I see the role of a rheumatologist to help my patient, but at the end of the day, I'm just helping in the sense of like the patient is the one walking with this condition and they have, how to explain this? 
they are working with it and they have to listen to their body, what works for them, what doesn't work for them, what do they need, what do they not need. I can only offer my expertise from research, from my own experience, but at the end of the day, like the patient is living with it, right? And so it's with it. And so normalcy is really difficult to define because I think like every single person has something that they are dealing with. Right. Right. And so, I mean, the number of people around me, I do like uh, meetings uh, where I invite someone and I, I, um, I interview someone from my community that I find interesting. And the number of things that you would not know how much everyone is not normal in that definition of what is normalcy, right? So yeah, we're all normal and we're all abnormal because we're all so unique. And so I think, yeah, to come back to this, I think that seeing rheumatoid arthritis, since that's what we're talking about, as an enemy that you want to get rid absolutely at all costs is just going to put so much energy on something like instead of putting this energy towards healing and towards caring for yourself and for your body that's trying to do its best and instead of like working with it we're just like you know fighting and so like that's like it's funny I actually gave a TED talk about that because I was like yes you we we have to see our body as this you know this uh uni- like I don't know like all of those cells that are trying whatever they can, you know, to help us. And sometimes they need help. I I know I'm really into the language of this and I'm hundred percent congruent with you. I don't, I do sometimes use the phrase like warrior, like rheumatoid rice warrior, because it's really common in the social media, like communities, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I don't, I feel like the warrior I'm, um, metaphor applies to me with my athletic background of thinking about like, I'm, even though I'm tired, like I'm gonna like get my energy together and I'm gonna like fight for the life that I want, not Mm -hmm. necessarily fighting against, you know, my body. So I think that's a really beautiful way to see it. I do think when most people say, I want to live a normal life, it's really a shorthand for, I want to be able to do the things that bring me joy, the things that are meaningful to me, you know, and that used to be actually the definition for occupational therapy or the tagline was like helping you live life to the fullest or helping you engage in meaningful activities. I'm like, I can't, it's so amazing that there's a whole field devoted to that, you know? So I mean, I'm always like giving a shout out to occupational therapy. Um, But yeah, so there's different ways to enable people to engage in meaningful activity. You can do it through the medication that gets to the source and, and obviously that's a big part of my treatment toolbox, but you can also do it through the lifestyle uh, alongside that. Like you mentioned, you know, mindfulness, stress management, and then investing in, um, you know, in the, yeah, you know, whatever gives you the biggest bang for the buck nutrition for some people, it, nutrition doesn't seem to be as big for me as like sleep and stress management and exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently added weight training to my nice. toolbox and it's been having a really positive effect actually not necessarily on the pain, but on the, um, brain fog and fatigue, super interesting. Yeah. And also just, um, seeing yourself as like a whole beautiful person worthy of love and self-compassion and you know despite having this diagnosis or alongside it so I I really I I I definitely think and it's a it's a helpful analogy and I think your experience as a cancer I don't know if you want to say a cancer patient or your experience having the condition you know cancer 
has really given you a really unique perspective, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that I, I was open to it and then like, you know, just walking in the shoes, right? Uh, and then continuing. Yeah. I really like what you're saying, which is, and, and you know, it's really interesting. We're almost in metaphysical uh, questions here. Yeah. Uh, who are the people, to, to come back to the difficult, like the patients who have difficult to treat RA. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we have this, uh, this uh, debate on social media, which is not the best place to have a debate anyway, but um, <laughs> I, I felt judged by, not by you necessarily, but I felt judged by my community, like how come I, I'm aiming for disease remission? Why am I saying this to my patients? And I'm like, well, number one, because I know we can get there. Mm-hmm. And number two, why should I be afraid to say that I'm aiming for that? Um and uh, and it's really interesting, like the the so to go back to there are some patients who are difficult, like it's difficult for them to achieve this disease remission. So I try to aim, I aim for disease remission in all of my patients, and even for me, I want disease remission. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and um, I think what's really interesting is. And I have some example, uh, and and we can go into the research if you want, but I think that examples are stories and stories are so more impactful. I'm, so I'm going to share a story that I shared in my TED, TEDx talk. Yeah. Um, so I call this patient Mike, but of course it's not his name. Uh, so Mike came to me with more than 10 years of rheumatoid arthritis, deformed. Um, and like he, ha- he was in his late 30s and he had had it since like late 20s. And he was severe RA, you know, high CCP positive, rheumatoid, like, you know, rheumatoid factor elevated, and then erosion, erosion of his joint on his hands, but as well as his hip. So he was wearing a cane. And I okay, reviewed you just sorry, I remember that a lot of people don't know what an erosion is. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. So erosion is thank you so much. Erosion is when you start having uh your bone. So basically you have the cartilage on top of the bone. And then you start having the bone. So the cartilage first is eroded. So basically less less cartilage because of the inflammation that sorts of eats it. And then you can have erosion when there is, um, I don't like the word eating, but basically there is so much inflammation of the joint that the cartilage is at, uh, is removed or at least at a place. And then there is the bone that's also uh, eaten. Sorry, I hate that word. It almost <laughs> looks like a, when you look at x-rays, because I recently found this amazing radiology website from the Netherlands, by the way, that <laughs> patients can look, anyone can look at it. And it had, it almost looks like little holes. Yeah. Like you took the bone and you just were like, you scraped That's why it. the eaten. Yeah, yeah. But I so, hate the word eaten because it, it's like as if something is eaten, but there's so much information that it, yeah, it looks eaten. <laughs> that's yeah, really, yeah. That's and that's okay. really that's how right. we call it. No, no. That, but that, that's a sign of more severe disease when it gets yeah. to absolutely and that's a sign that's actually what we want to prevent and that is why we do this approach of uh, we don't do this step of therapy approach but rather we like treat to target drug to target so that if you don't respond to the first line which is usually methotrexate we put you on a biologic so fast forward for mike and so mike had been living in pain and anger and anyone that has had pain for a long time Look, I've had pain uh, with the surgery and oh my gosh, I was just like, whew, like patients who have chronic pain, I had suddenly a whole more <laughs> lot of compassion because it's really, 
is painful. <laughs> there's, there's really a term for that. Like having chronic pain is probably worse than having just one-time pain, like very intense pain. So anyway, I don't um, have any hope of it getting better at a certain point. I, I, yeah, I know. Right? More and more things. It's like, well, where's the data for me to yeah. have? Oh, yeah. So yeah. No, no, absolutely. That that's a really valid point. So this patient, so Mike, um, had seen. I don't know. I don't want to. I want to say that he had seen ten rheumatologists. Yeah, he had seen a lot of rheumatologists. And at the end, you could make out, I didn't say that in the TEDx because you cannot, you don't have that much time, but basically I could feel by reading the notes that they had fully given up. They were like, whatever, he doesn't do what we want him to do. So we're not even trying. And the the person like he, he was traveling, you know, and so, yeah, of course it couldn't do all of the things that they were offering him. But also, like, did they really take the time to discuss? But I'm telling you, like, the last ones, you can, you could make out that I had given up. They were like, yeah, whatever, I'm not even trying. And so I asked him, I was like, you know, like, because he was so angry looking at me and I was just like uncomfortable. And at the same time, I was like, well, I'm uncomfortable because he's probably super angry and he's super upset at rheumatologist. And yet I'm here and I know I can get him better. Like I knew I could get him better because I have amazing treatment. It's not me. It's not me. It's never me. <laughs> it's the treatment and it's the patient that does the work. Like it's never, ever me. But, you know, when I say I know I can get you to remission, it's because I know my field can get you remission. Right. And I know you can get into remission. And so I told him, I said, look, I I, I, I offered him a treatment, but I, I went very fast about it. And I was like, honestly, have you ever thought about the fact that maybe this rheumatoid arthritis has brought you something good? And you should have seen his look. He was like about to, like if his eyes were gone, he would have killed me on place, like right there. Like I could imagine like the fire, you know, <laughs> taking me. Uh, and so it, I didn't see him for three months. I didn't know if I would ever see him. I had written him um, like some treatment, a treatment plan and all this. And I was hoping that he would get it, uh, but he did. And he came back and he had no more pain, no more joint swelling, no more morning stiffness. And uh, he agreed to do a hip replacement and so on. And I, th this is just like one of the most incredible example, but I have so many of those. Uh, but because why is it so important to me is because he came back and he was like, you know, I thought about what you said. And yes, this RA brought me so much good. And he started like enumerating all of the good things that his disease had brought him, which he had not realized until that question, until that crazy rheumatologist question. Right. And um, and to me, you know, yeah, you could have said, oh, this is a difficult to treat patient. I mean, he's already seen 10 10 rheumatologists, yet the first treatment I gave him, he went into full disease remission. I mean, the guy I only saw once a year after that. That's so weird. Why didn't the other rheumatologists give him that treatment? They, I think, I think it's him that would not take it. Oh, okay. Sorry. Exactly. Sorry. Right. So it's not like when we say difficult to treat treatment, like he probably was a difficult, he was a difficult to treat treatment because uh, difficult to treat RA patient because he had tried other stuff, mm -hmm. but was he really difficult or was it just that he never fully wanted to be in remission? And it's almost like, so this is a really, so this is, this is, I told you I'm metaphysical it, it, here. Would it be want or would it be believed it was possible? You know? I think both. I think also this idea of, am I worth it? And do I like, 
And and so this is such a question that I ask on anyone that I'm having an issue with, like getting them into remission. And I'm telling you, I, I ask this question not that often, honestly, because my patients go into remission easily, but some of them it's hard. And some of them, it's not that it's hard, like, okay, you know, sometimes it's like their medication doesn't work. Sometimes it's that they don't tolerate the medications, right? Yeah. And that is just as annoying <laughs> from both sides <laughs> than, yeah. than like it doesn't work. And so I asked them that same question. I'm like, have you ever thought of what this has brought to you? And it's only the moment they are willing to accept that this has also brought them something, in my experience at least, mm -hmm. uh, that I see some changes, right? And it's like, wow. And so it's not everyone, of course, nothing is 100%. That's the black and white that you don't right. have. Yeah. <laughs> it, would be you boring. Like. it would be boring if life was too black. Exactly. <laughs> so it's never black and white, but it's so fascinating. Like, do I deserve this? Like, do I, like, and, and you know, what benefit did I get from having my rheumatoid arthritis? What is there any benefit of this? Like, I can tell you my cancer stage four, I mean, you know, it's scary. Yeah. I mean, I got so much out of it. I mean, I'm now here talking to you. I would never have talked to you before because, you know, I mean, I would not have been in this podcast idea. Yeah. Uh, I have, you know, opened my own direct care practice because, and then now I'm like loving even more being a physician. Like there are so many good things that happen thanks to my cancer that, you know, like I want to say like, okay, yeah, it, it changed my life, but for the better, not for the worst. And so it's, I'm not saying that everyone is going to have this relationship, but I really believe that there is at least something positive in everyone's right. journey. And it might be, you know, maybe you get to realize that your husband, like your, you and your husband have a better relationship now or anything. Right. So, sorry, I, I know I went on this tangent, but it's like, what is difficult to treat rheumatoid arthritis? And sometimes it's like, do you think that you deserve remission is a really, 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 really important question. Yeah, uh, and and I, I've seen that a lot in, in the support groups I leave it, it. I guess I've seen a lot of people who truly do want to feel relief and truly want to feel better and have, you know, this have failed, quote unquote, or the medicines have failed them. You know, they're on their fifth one, they're on their sixth one. And it's really mm -hmm really tough to maintain that sense of hope when yeah. every single thing you've tried hasn't worked. So I'm just, my heart goes out to the people who've had that difficult to treat RA. And when we were talking about language earlier, I really quickly want to say when, when, you know, Dr. Amiga and I are saying difficult to treat RA, this is like a phrase in literature. Like yes. there's an article I'm going to put in the um, show notes that's from 2022 called difficult to treat rheumatoid arthritis in quotes, current position and considerations for next steps. So this is not, she's not saying that patients are difficult. No. And when we say there's always kind of phrases that can feel really weird yeah. as a patient or also failing, you didn't fail the yeah. medicine, the medicine failed you, you know, so knowing yeah. all these phrases is just helpful. I hate those words. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for, uh, for uh, clarifying that. Yeah. It's not a patient that's difficult. It's never ever a patient that's difficult. I think, you know, from a rheumatoid arthritis standpoint, it's just that it's actually fairly easy, usually like, right? Methotrexate doesn't work, biologic, 
And I, honestly, I usually share, I did a diagram and like a whole explanation of how, like what you can expect with rheumatoid arthritis. And I'm showing this because I tell my patient at three months, if it doesn't work, we switch. At three mm -hmm. months, if it doesn't work, we switch because our goal is full remission. Our goal mm -hmm. is full remission. So that's, uh, uh, yeah. And then what was the other word that you said? The uh, fading. Oh yeah. yeah, I hate that word, fading. Yeah. We didn't reach remission. That's the that's the word that we I should like use. I like that one too, reaching <laughs> remission. Or my friend, uh, Jatel, who's been on the podcast before, she just says the drug failed me, you know? Oh, it, for sure. For whatever reason, it didn't, yep. you know, in, in your body. And, you know, I think, um, I think the fact that if I'm zooming out to the 20,000 foot view here, you know, you really have slowed down and looked at your patients as a real human being sitting in front of you. Yeah. And that's honestly like the most, sometimes it's the most therapeutic thing. Like I can usually tell within like three minutes of a clinical encounter when I'm the patient with a new provider, whether they're really, whether they're on autopilot, whether they're really taking a moment to see me. And yeah. I think there there's something in, in, in occupational therapy and in, in, in psychology, they call it the therapeutic use of self. Yep. You've ever heard that, but yeah, um, uh, it's like the value of being seen by yeah. someone and validated. Like when you look at somebody who's had these treatments that haven't worked for them and you say, you know, I still want to help you aim for remission. Um, it's, yeah. a, it's just a beautiful thing. And I, I'm going to ask you selfishly, I'm going to ask you a question for me, because I do think, I wonder, or I, I'm curious, is remission, do you, you said you aim for remission in all of your patients that for sure have RA. Um, once you kind of are getting, do you ever get to the point where you've gone, you've exhausted all the treatments? Like I'm, I'm on the fifth biologic and I'm, I'm worried about running the clock out. Oh, yeah. There are so many of them. Don't even worry about that. Okay. Okay. That, well. Don't even worry about that. So uh, in, in other diseases, there are some other diseases where there's not that many options. But when it comes to RA, we have so many options and they keep coming back. Like we keep having new ones. Well, that's true. I there's have... only three when I start out, three biologics. Yeah, so exactly. three biologics, it's just a class yeah. of medication. Yeah. And then and now I, I want to share this because I, I want you guys to realize this. I take the example of rheumatoid arthritis for my own cancer journey because uh, like I got diagnosed with this stage four and it's uh, HER2 positive breast cancer. It was, sorry, I'm going to put it in the past because words matter. It was HER2 positive breast cancer. And the HER2 is this receptor. And so the same way that, you know, rheumatoid arthritis may have this positive CCP, like it's kind of like the same concept. And so I had a biologic and I still take biologic every three weeks. I mean, it's really, I'm, I'm really expensive patient <laughs> because I'm worth it, you know? Oh, like me too. Patient. Exactly. We're both really um, expensive. Cancer we're is so right. worth it. <laughs> we're so <laughs> worth it. But it's, it's, it's really interesting. So when I go for my PET scan and because I need to do PET scan every six months to make sure that this thing doesn't come back, right? I always, to reassure myself, like literally this is what I do, to reassure myself, I'm thinking, what do I tell my patients with RA? And I always think, well, this was the first line. I got into remission with the first line, but even if it were to ever come back, there are many other options. And so that is literally what I tell my patients. And that reassures me as a patient with a history of cancer. And so if that can reassure me as a history, as a patient with a history of cancer, I want to make really sure that you can all be reassured by the fact that 
Like we have unbelievable treatment in rheumatoid arthritis. Like it's so cool, right? Like I, I used, when I started rheumatology, we were starting to use TNF inhibitor, right? Like uh, it was Remicade. That's Uh exactly the first biologic that we, I mean, uh, in rheumatology, because there were other biologics. Uh, But it's like, I mean, the change of like in my lifetime, I'm not that old guys. I'm not that old. (laughs) And like, seeing that difference i mean when we say we aim for mission we really mean it it's not the same thing than just aiming for minimal disease activity uh or for moderate disease activity and uh and so yeah i mean i believe in what i say because that's really what we aim you can ask all of my patients like they all i aim for remission in all of them right that and i doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you're not going to flare. That doesn't mean that you're going to be in remission forever, but that we're still aiming for that goal with the idea that hopefully it's going to last forever, mm-hmm. forever, right? Like, and, and I think that that's what's really important is to realize that we are changing. Our bodies is changing. Our hormones are changing when we are women and like the environment stuff are changing, right? And so we, it's it's not just you know, black and white. And it's just like, you go through a journey and your rheumatologist is on your side to get you to full remission all of the time. <laughs> well, and yeah, I, I honestly, the, how you explained it to me is exactly how my rheumatologist did in 2003. And I was kind of shocked the first time after six years, then whatever my body, you know, I think the theory is that my body created antibodies to the medicine. Cause I started, I had my first post-diagnosis flare-up and I was like completely shocked because I was like no this is the plan I thought it was kind of like diabetes where like there's the one thing like there's insulin right for diabetes it's like there's the thing I take this TNF inhibitor I'm gonna take it forever and so you know it's it, it it's it's a helpful lesson to learn that you know it like you said it's it, it is a journey and yeah. even if the goal is remission the strategy to achieve the goal might have to change to so say yes. you know what this medicine your body is not responding in the same way as before. Let's switch you. Like that was actually, this is going on another topic, but mm-hmm. in terms of coping and mental health and acceptance, that was actually significantly harder for me to cope with than the initial diagnosis because mm-hmm. the initial diagnosis, I felt so much relief because I had been medically gaslit and that's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. But I felt like, oh, okay, this is what I do. Like there's a diagnosis, there's a treatment plan. They believe me, all good. And then when I had my first flare up, I thought, it was like that moment of truth of like, oh, this isn't just one mountain I'm going to climb and get back down. It's going to be a series. And that is kind of a metaphor for life, right? Every time you yes. think, oh, it's just, I just do this. It's like, yep. um, you know, it's, it's like, I figured it out. Oh, then they change. Yeah. And I think, and I think it's, it's, uh, I, I hear you. I really do hear you when you're like, you've done so well. And then suddenly you're like, wait, what, what, like, where, where's my truth? Like I've come up with this idea that I'm good with RA and wait, what, like it's not working anymore. Uh, so I'm with you. I think that as a rheumatologist, I see so many good drugs that I'm like, yeah, no, I got, so maybe, maybe that's like a really something that I've learned because I was like, I got you. Like, it's okay. Don't worry. Like we have amazing. Next one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
but no, you're like, but hold on, this one was working. Why is it not working anymore? Yeah, my my rheumatologist, um, she's she's really shy, so she doesn't want to come on the podcast, which I totally understand. Also, put her in an awkward position. But she says that uh, it's just, I don't know if you'll relate to this. So I thought it was really cute because I told her maybe one day I could go back on that first TNF inhibitor, and she goes. A lot of people, when they, that first drug that put them into remission, it's like your first love or like your first boyfriend where you're like, oh, yeah. you know, like she said that you kind of romanticize it in a, in a way and that, you know, there are possibilities of going back on, on one, but we kind of want to go to the different classes. Yeah. First. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's the beauty, right? Like in the TNF inhibitor, there's like what five of them. And then now there's the biosimilars. And then you oh, have all of the combination with the conventional drug. I mean, yeah, I mean, like there is a reason I easily say we aim for disease remission because, I mean, it's not like we only have one or two drugs. <laughs> like, we well, have okay. One more thing before we go to the rapid fire questions, and I'm just I'm so grateful for you for spending this time because this is really this is an area of real confusion for people. I do know that like I um I've talked a lot in in the room to thrive you know self-management support group about like choosing where to put our energy like how much energy to put into making things quote unquote better you know making my pain level, levels better fatigue better and then how much energy to put into adjusting and adapting like to maybe this is as good as it gets for today today this is as good as my pain's going to get can i adapt to that can i still find ways to you know do those meaningful activities but um the sorry that was a little tangent but um the question I was also thinking about before that was um um if something I think is is confusing to people is that is where do I if if my let's say their doctor had told them um or they had the impression that maybe remission isn't really achievable for them what would you say would be like you mentioned kind of like a decision hierarchy like you start with the medications where do the lifestyle things fall in with that? Like, do you do it alongside? Okay, so so what are some yeah. of the how, more and, helpful things? And I, you know, because I don't want to finish uh, before explaining one more thing. So I'm going to okay. go back to the disinformation. No, I just realized I was like, oh, I really want to make sure that everyone gets that. When you have a so quote on uh, quote unquote so called this difficult to treat RA. There is one thing that I would recommend is to make sure that it is indeed RA. Yes, uh, yes. That's, Thank you that's like me. a really important one. And why? Because not all drugs for RA work for the other conditions. Uh, so the truth, the truth is that um, insurance are a problem in this country and that to get medications, if you say that someone has RA, they get a lot more access to a lot more medications, okay? So uh, rheumatologists have a tendency to say RA to a lot more things that are actually not necessarily RA. And the problem is that, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing. You may see one rheumatologist and then you may see another one and then you may see another one. Maybe you see a nurse practitioner or a PA and that diagnosis of RA that has been written just to get some potential treatment gets carried away without being thoughtfully thought. <laughs> like, is this really RA? I've the reason I say this is- that. Yeah, sorry. I've seen that in some of the yeah. patients in the group. And they'll say, my doctor outright told me, we're not yeah. sure if it's RA, but we're going to say it's RA so you can get the medicine. It's absolutely. And so if the doc has the time to explain this, that's great. Sometimes they don't, right? And I've seen, or sometimes you do not know. And so you just like, I, I have seen, I've said to patients, like, look, I'm not completely sure, but this is clearly inflammatory. 
if I say this is RA, you have access to more drugs. So bam, we're saying RA. But I've seen rheumatoid arthritis not being rheumatoid arthritis, but being gout or pseudogout, super common to be pseudogout. I've seen it to be psoriatic arthritis without psoriasis. Uh, and so one of the reasons why rheumatologists love their specialty is that it is not black and white and we are the detective. Uh, but it's really interesting, right? I can give you how much, uh, whatever TNF inhibitor I want, you will not respond if you have gout. Like, I mean, you shouldn't really respond that much if you have gout. You may respond if I give you anakinra, which works both for RA and gout. But you see, like all of those things, so I think that that's really important. For PMR, same thing. It doesn't work TNF inhibitor, but uh, so polymyalgia rheumatica. Uh, but like it would, like, you know, tocilizumab would work. And so then maybe someone would say, oh, you have RA just because prednisone and tocilizumab works because that works for PMR. So all of this to say that I think that... Um, if you have a, you know, a difficult to treat RA, we have to also make sure that we pause enough and we look, is there any other thing going on? First of all, is my diagnosis correct? Second of all, is there anything else going on as well? Like fibromyalgia, which is like small fibrous neuropathy in most of the case. So anyone that gaslights you with fibromyalgia, just tell them to learn about small fibers neuropathy. Uh, and, uh, you know, all of those things. And I think that that's really important depression and so on and, um, vitamin D deficiency and, and all of those things. And I think that that's really important. Like did someone actually do an MRI or an ultrasound to see if your RA is really active. So I just wanted to put that point, which is that we need to make sure that we know what we're talking about when we're saying that the disease is not in remission because, you may still have joint pain if it's not RA, but osteoarthritis. You may still have joint pain or muscle pain if you have fibromyalgia. You may still have fatigue and you may still have, you know, so many other options. <laughs> so I just wanted to share this because that's important. Uh, now for the lifestyle question, 100% I add them at the same time. Like, I mean- Why not? <laughs> exactly. And I think for me, like, again, as a- you know, a patient, I mean, lifestyle changes are literally in your power. They are a way to empower our patients from the moment that they have a symptom. And so you don't have to wait for your rheumatologist. You don't have to wait for your blood work. You don't have to wait for the x-ray. You don't have to wait for anything and do all of those techniques that are clearly proven scientifically to work. Um, you mentioned exercise for fatigue. I mean, it's proven in cancer. That's like the only thing that helps with patients uh, undergoing chemo and being tired. It's exercise. It's crazy. Right. Like yeah, you're like I, telling patients, exercise. <laughs> and it also really, really helps with sleep quality. I was thinking about doing a little yeah. post that was like, you know, five reasons to exercise with rheumatoid arthritis that have nothing to do with muscles and joints. Like, cause it's, yeah. really, it's not even just that it's emotions, you know, your endorphins that get released. Yeah. It's the fatigue, it's the improved fatigue, improved, um, sleep yeah. quality yeah. It, and obviously improved pain levels. So yeah. So yeah, exercise. Yeah. And I do think that it's lifestyles in our control to a certain degree. I mean, obviously for yeah. some people, they're going to be barriers in terms of, you know, let's say you're a mom to like three small kids or financial barriers. I think that's one of my pet peeves in the nutrition space. When people are like, it's totally in your control to eat like a holy, like organic, like perfect yeah, yeah. diet. It's like, okay. But you know, it's not in a lot of people's control to maximize everything, you know, to get 
to get therapy every week and meditate every day and exercise every day, you know, it, you might have to pick and choose totally. experiment, you know, as, as uh, I'm sure, you know, with which yeah. one's going to give you the bang for your buck, you know, that's exactly right. And I think whatever works for you. And, and the thing that I always tell my patient is that if you're going to be frustrated about any of those, like it actually defeats the purpose because the frustration is going to cause inflammation. Yes. So don't be frustrated. And in terms of exercise, movement is a better word because it yeah. doesn't actually have to be exercise where you sweat. It can just literally be movement, which is just walking. Just or dancing. Or dancing. Oh, I love that. Yeah, dancing. I love know. it. We were talking about Twitter earlier. I once saw a doctor on Twitter that was berating their patient. That's because he said, they, I asked them if they exercise and they said that they walk the dog for 40 minutes every day. And they were like saying that that's not real exercise. That is. I know. I was like, excuse me. Um, I <laughs> that get is. it that like, I will say for RA, I do think of like the three pillars as strength training, cardiovascular and stretching. So if you're only getting cardio and not strength training, you're missing a little bit because you do want to challenge your muscles, not just your heart, but, it, and vice versa, if you're only doing strength training and not, you know, um, getting your heart rate up, it's not quite as good for the cardiovascular effects. So having a little bit of both is, is helpful, but, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I just, I know it's kind of a leading question to say, like, do you do the lifestyle alongside the medicines, but it's so often posed to patients as an either, or instead of a both and, you know, both and, and exactly. I love it. Like why, why deprive yourself of a technique that's going to work and that, you know, doesn't really cost much. <laughs> so yeah. Exactly. I'm with you. exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned it because I have no negative association with the term exercise just because of my background as an athlete, but I know a lot of people get intimidated by the word exercise. So I remember I heard that from a physical therapist too. I always say like movement opportunities or they no. even recommended like movement snacks, which I thought was cute. Oh, so like the day, like not thinking about it as like going to the gym for like an hour, but thinking, okay, like if I'm going you know, up, can I go up and down the stairs on my way to a meeting for five minutes, you know, just to kind of boost, get some more activity in. So that's so yeah. helpful. Well, I mean, I feel like we could talk forever. We might have to do a part two because I think remission is such a fascinating and like complex topic and just the topic you introduced of like, maybe your diagnosis is not accurate. I do. I, mean, I don't want people to freak out about that, but I do think it's important to recognize that it is common or it is not a, a freak occurrence for, for diagnoses to change in rheumatology because so much is um, gray areas, like you mentioned. So I'm putting, you had nicely sent me a couple of links, like one of them's called like from a journal article from 2021 that says, is seronegative RA true rheumatoid arthritis, a nationwide cohort study? So people can learn more because um, it is, you know, I once had someone in the support group who got their diagnosis changed from rheumatoid arthritis to psoriatic arthritis. And they were like, um, initially like emotionally coping with that and it was kind of a funny like the devil you know right when you first get diagnosed with RA she's like I don't want this and then now she had RA she's like well wait a minute I was just getting used to that now I have a new one but I remember telling her you know it's really really important to have to know what your condition is because um, this is going to open you up to the right treatment you want to match the right treatment to yeah. the right disease you know um so um, hopefully that, you know, if, if you're, and that's why I think second opinions are always a, you know, a good idea. If you're, if you're feeling like there's something missing from your current, you know, plan. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. uh, okay. So a couple um, rapid fire questions that knowing you and I, we probably talk about each of these for an hour, but because uh, we are so passionate, but what is, um, what is some of your best advice for newly diagnosed patients? 
um, to find the best rheumatologist for them because that's it's going to probably be a lifelong relationship. So find the best rheumatologist and like make sure that you trust them. Yeah, that would be yeah. like the number one. Number two is to realize that um, it's okay. Like rheumatology is a really cool field where it it doesn't have to be sad. It's a it's a happy field. Yeah. Oh, that's a great one. That there is, you know, there is hope that this a lot. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And what is something it it doesn't have to be clinically? Like, what is something that's been just bringing you joy lately? Oh, um, oh, so much stuff. Sorry. Um, (laughs) No, so much. I mean, I would say that one of the reasons I love being a rheumatologist is to see my patients in remission. Um, there is like a huge rush of dopamine (laughs) when it comes to that. So that has been wonderful. Uh, that is wonderful and it's ongoing. Uh, what has brought me joy? Um, seeing my patient, my uh, kids, uh, play uh, the piano. I thought uh, I had given up on them. And and then the other day they were like, my son was like playing with two hands and I was like, wait, he's actually learned something. And it didn't seem like he was learning anything. (laughs) So I was like, wow. Okay, cool. Oh, how old are they? They are twins and I have uh, almost eight. They are seven. Oh, okay. That's so, yeah. Charlie, my nine-year-old has been doing piano too. And um, mm. it's it's wonderful. Yeah, when they have that, when they, and I think piano is a great frustration tolerance activity yep. because you have to experience your mistakes, you yep. know? And and so, yeah, I that's, that's beautiful. And then um, last rapid fire question, but again, long question potentially, but what does it mean for you to what does the concept mean to you to thrive with rheumatic disease or rheumatoid arthritis Uh, I think it's if you're not letting it define you I think it's a component of you but it doesn't have to define you it's not because you have RA that you're RA right like it's not because you have pain that you are pain Um, and so I think thrive is just living living your life to the fullest, um, living your life without worries, because, and I'm going back to, because I'm a rheumatologist and that's what I tell my patients, I want to worry for my patients so that they don't have to worry so that they can live a full normal and full life. And normal, you know, sorry, we defined that, but- Oh, no, 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 it's okay. It's totally one of my like little- Their life, I want them to live their life. I want them to be able to play with their grandkids. I want them to be able to crochet. I'm, I had this patient who sent me a, uh, you call that a hat that he had needed. Uh, and it's, it's kind of funny that it is a man, but like he couldn't do anything. And then suddenly he's able to knit and like, he's so grateful. And um, I got a hat in the process. Yay. <laughs> you know. Oh, there are so many artistic people with rheumatoid arthritis. It's really, yeah. I mean, I'm blown away a lot. And that's some, one of the things that people grieve when, when their disease isn't well controlled is I can't do these activities I used to want to do your love doing like watercolor painting or, you know, um, yeah. or yeah, crocheting, knitting, cross stitch, just so yeah. many, arts, you know, talents. So, and I, I will say it again, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, this is like a, a hill I'm waiting to die on. Yeah. We can get you to remission because it's true, because because it is true. You should not have to give up crochet. You should not have to give up painting. You, like we if are not. RA, yeah. Yeah. And, and even if it's another rheumatologic disorder, like we just have to find what it is mm-hmm. and then we treat it. Like there's a reason I did rheumatology twice. Mm-hmm. Guys, I, I love it because we get our patients into like 
ability to do everything they love. I'm not saying the 90 year old, I think I put, a, <laughs> I did put an 88 year old recently on a biologic, but because I was like, well, you know, you cannot do what you like. So what's the point? So do you want to just try? Like, let's just try. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I'm trying that we cannot back it off. We cannot always back it off. Right. But right. yeah, there well, are some patients, you know. And I think there are, yeah. And I think, I think, again, it's still a balancing act in the meanwhile, while you're waiting to get to that point, you know, or if, if for whatever reason, maybe it's because it's, you know, you have a deformity or you have another condition, like a musculoskeletal condition that's like, you know, making it difficult for you to do things. Like, let's say there was someone in the support group recently who was really into rock climbing. Like there might be a point where you're, you're not going to be able to climb the things that you used to be able to climb, but can you increase your ability to enjoy the activity in an, an adaptive, and this is me being an OT, but an adapted or modified way or find a substitute activity that kind of scratches that same itch because then that way your life enjoyment isn't dependent on on full revision so it's how you can get at it from two different you yeah. know two different angles yeah. and um and just put all the possible you know tools in your toolbox but, but yeah it's really interesting because I, I and I think the difference is that you're OT so you don't actually yeah. offer the treatment but like, I'm a rock climber. If you remove rock climbing from my life, I would be so miserable. I would be so sad. <laughs> it would be really yeah. sad. So I come. Yeah, it I, might I, happen though, if you got like a spinal cord injury or something, you know, like. I know, I know. Yeah. And, and you're right. And you're right. And I love that you're uh, sharing this. And, and that's why I love occupational therapists. <laughs> I always like try to be creative. But yeah, I know. I love it. I love it. Uh, I, yet I would say that, um, it's really cool to do this. And there's a reason why rheumatologists are rheumatologists and we have a lot of options and, and I would not give up. Like I would, I would say, don't give up. You can, I, I would still say, yeah, we're going to get you to, uh, to climb. This is yeah. not a spinal cord injury. Um, no, no, yeah. no. Of course. I'm just and, thinking about and, a lot of the people in the support group have like multiple comorbid, comorbid. Oh, okay. So, you know, they might, it might be that RA is not their only barrier, Got it. they have other, other conditions, you know, concurrent yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. But, um, yeah. but, you know, so that's, that's like stage two thriving is like being able to thrive when you're not able to fix the underlying problem. Can you still, you know, you still have a life, you're not in a yes. coma, you know? So that's why I kind of like give yes. myself that pep talk sometimes, you know? Yes. Um, cause like I got, I had some acute injuries, um, on top of my RA that kind that really, uh, interfere with quality of life. I, I, I re, I, re aggravated my neck after a car accident injury. I keep, yeah. I sometimes retweak it. It just takes a day or two to get settled back down, yeah. but you know, um, there, those, those kind of things pop up, you know, that are not, they don't yeah. have, like a fix, but um, it's a, it's a really powerful uh, thing to just say, Hey, you know, yes, I'm aiming to be better yet. I also need to listen to my body and I'm going to work mm -hmm. with it. And right now my neck is turned like whatever, or my joints are painful and swollen. So yeah, of course I should not rock climb on a painful and swollen joint because right. I'm going to aggravate it. So I think that there's this fine balance of you can have your rheumatologist aim for perfection for you. And also you listen to your body and adjust to what you can do. I think that there is this fine balance in between. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And there's analogy of that is for me, or the thing that, that, that this is a whole other topic, but um, the acceptance and commitment therapy was really helpful for me because it, it's like, okay, 
life is like whack-a-mole, right? Challenges mm. are going to come up. Maybe I whacked the mole. Do you know that game? I don't know if, it's a, if you know that game from France, but you know, it's that game where there's little moles that come up and you have a mallet oh. a, and you hit them. So they come up one at a time, doop, doop, you know, you hit it, but life, there's never going to be a, or at least for most people, I think the human condition is that we are going to, we are going to have to approach suffering at some point with psychological suffering you know, the death of a parent, like things are just normal part of life that are difficult for us to cope with and building our capacity to cope is a good thing. Whether or not you end up whacking that mole of rheumatoid arthritis, you're still going to have to build the skills to cope with, you know, other kind of like for me, the whack, one of the moles, like little animal guys that came up was like the car accident. So the skills mm-hmm. I had built as like a chronic illness patient actually helped me cope with that. Probably for you the same way that the skills you built as, you know, cancer patient, um, is, you know, are, are helpful too. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I try to take yeah. sides. But of course I'm always like, I'm the biggest, I feel like people, I, I've actually gotten comments where people think that I'm like getting paid by pharmaceutical companies to talk about how effective the medicines are. I try to be always clear. I'm an occupational therapist. I'm not a doctor, but I'm an RA patient who's taken these meds and these meds, you know, the prognosis for me without these meds would be that I wouldn't be able to be, you know, swing dancing at my wedding. I wouldn't have been able to be, you know, still able to, you know, coach my son's soccer team and do things like, you know, they're, yeah. they're, um, I'm never, I'm always kind of trying to yeah. the misinformation online or the medication fear and medication shaming that occurs. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and 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 you're you're in that space, and um, yeah, and and I would love to talk about that actually. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So um, uh, I'm putting all these you know links in the show notes. Um, but can you just let the audience know where to find you online? Yes, absolutely. So the practice that I have, and that's also like a movement, uh, is called On Average MD. So it's on average for the non-edited version of the patient and the non-edited version of the physician. Uh, so unabridged MD, and I do have the podcast on average MD, where I talk all about health. And then I created a YouTube video called uh, a channel called rheumatology 101, where I talk, I just love rheumatology. So I was missing educating my uh, students and fellows and <laughs> yeah. so I'm, like, oh, I'm just going to do a YouTube video channel. Uh, so rheumatology 101 by Dr. Isabel Amig. Uh, and then on average MD and I have like Instagram. That's actually how we met, right? Instagram, yes. Twitter, and uh, LinkedIn and all of the usual platform. I think I, there's also TikTok, but I'm not really on there. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, but on average, on there. Yeah. it's so fun. No, yeah. uh, there's a lot of patient education on there. Um, but no, mm-hmm. but I, I just subscribed to your podcast. I mean, your, your podcast, your YouTube channel as we're talking. Oh. So I love that. Um, rheumatology 101 it's so needed you know that there's yeah. so much confusion out there even though there are some great websites people still seem to get really confused so um mm-hmm. I'm really I'm really excited that we got to talk today so I think yes. hope people will follow up with you if you're lucky enough to live in Colorado maybe they could you know see you because um you know people are always asking me for recommendations for rheumatologists and it's hard because I'm in Seattle you know so I know the ones around here and I've met some at the conferences but um you know, it's just, it's nice to have that personal touch. So thank you so much. And, um, 
I oh and your TED talk is your TED talk available that's what I was not ask. yet because I okay. just gave it uh yeah it's uh, changing the relationship to our health experience I, I don't know if I'm going to change the title but I think it's coming like in four to six months so we have time oh months okay so I was gonna say I put that as a placeholder so I will say to link when available um the TED talk because I think that's and I love that you have this tagline I've seen you use like remission is my mission I love that. I think that's really cute. Sorry. So um, I, I appreciate your take on, on remission. It definitely gives people a lot of hope. So um, I'll, we'll sign off for now, but maybe we'll do a part two later. Yes. Thank <laughs> you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.